Welcome everyone to Kingdom Rock Radio. We pray that you will enjoy today's message. Now here's a sample of what you'll be hearing today. So they erect golden calves or they wreck the golden calves, or they spend a lot of time, they spend a lot of money, a lot of energy trying to keep what God gave them instead of seeking the Father. And so they spend all this time, money, and energy trying to keep what they have, only to find out that you have opened up a door for the enemy to come in. Kingdom Rock Radio is an outreach ministry of Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center, located right here in Bremen, Georgia. You can connect with us at our website, at www.kingdomrock.org. And now, here is today's message. Well, welcome everybody once again to our Sunday morning services here at Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center, where Jesus Christ is Lord, Josh. Jesus Christ is Lord. And um, we praise him and thank him today for this opportunity to give you the word of God. And I just want to thank you guys so much, all of you that are here right now, those of you that are joining us right now online, and those of you that be watching the replay later, podcast, Roku, YouTube, Vimeo, however you're watching, thank you guys so much for, uh, for sharing with me. It is tremendous. It, it is a tremendous opportunity, and I count it an honor to bring God's word to his people. So I thank you, Father, and I thank you guys so very much. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, as you know, we've been in a series for the last few weeks. Uh, entitled Focus on Christ, Focus on Christ. And remember, we're in this series, and I pray that you hear me today in Jesus' mighty name. Don't let anything or anybody distract you. We're in this series because God is preparing you for what's coming, for what's here, and for what's about to come. He is preparing you. And so the word is focus on Christ, focus on Christ. And today we'll be speaking from the uh, subtitle of The Breaking Point. The Breaking Point. And we'll let you see this as we go on. Now, as we go in this series, the Lord also gave me eight words of wisdom to give to you. Eight words of wisdom uh, to give to you. Now, you need to either screenshot this if you want to or, or write them down. But these are eight specific things uh, that he wants you to do uh, even now and in this season that, that is going to help you further along in this. Here are these eight, eight wisdom keys, and they all begin with the uh, letter W. The first thing, uh, he wants you to focus on his word. We know this, focus on his word. Second, worship. So first, word. Second, worship. Three, water. You're going to need to drink more water. More water, not soda, more water. Not juice, water. Juice is good, of course, but water. He says water. So again, word, worship, water. You're going to need to do weights. That is some type of strength training. Weight, some type of strength training, whether you're using bands or whatever you got to do, you're going to need to do some type of strength training. You're going to have to keep this body together. Number five, you're going to need to walk or, or do some sort of cardio. Do some sort of cardio. This is all these things are on a daily basis or at least every other day, but you need to observe these things. So cardio is going to build your endurance and strength. All right. That is walking. Walking will build endurance and walking will build endurance and weights, some type of whether you're doing push-ups or what have whatever it is that will help uh, your body to be strong as you go through these times. Six, uh, wait in the presence of the Lord. Wait in his presence. Wait in his presence. Seven, 
wonder, wonder, that is, keep his goodness, uh, keep his goodness on your mind. Just spend time just sitting and waiting on the Lord and begin just to wonder about his goodness. Keep his goodness in front of you. Keep his goodness in front of you. And the last one, I really like this one too. Eight, wiggle. You're going to have to have some fun. You're going to have to wiggle. You're going to have to have some measure of fun. Okay? All these things you will need in this season that that we're in and that is coming. Let me say one more time, you're going to need the word. You're going to need to worship. That is in worship, of course, is daily prayer and communing with God. Uh, Three, you're going to need water. Four, you're going to, you're going now, of course, water, at least, I think, six to four ounces a day. Make sure you get the proper amount of water in your system every day. Weights, you're going to need to do some type, some type of strength training. Uh, five, you're going to have to walk. Just get some sort of cardio in. Uh, six, you're going to have to wait in his presence. He's going to have instruction for you. Just waiting in his presence. Uh, eight, or rather, seven, you're going to have to wonder. That is... Spend time thinking on his goodness. Let his goodness flow through your mind. And eight, you're going to have to have some fun. You're going to have to wiggle. Have some fun. Hallelujah. All right. I thank God that you've heard those eight points. We gave them to you first because this is extremely important. This series comes with a confession. And the confession goes like this. Because of, because of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I am forgiven. Colossians 1.14. All my sins have been washed away, 1 John 1, 7. I have peace with God, Romans 5, 1. I have been made the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I am forever perfected and sanctified, being made holy, Hebrews 10, 14. I am not now, nor will I ever be condemned by God, Romans 8, 1. I am loved and accepted in the presence of God, John 3, 16, Ephesians 1, 6. As, as Jesus is, so am I in this world, 1 John 4, 17. Hallelujah. Amen. So again, let me remind you, focus on Christ, what he is doing, what he is saying. Do not uh, neglect his word. Do not neglect his voice. Listen to what he is saying and do it. This is the word of the Lord, the word from heaven. So again, today we're going to be speaking from the subtitle of Breaking Point. This is your next step in this Breaking Point. So we're going to go to 2 Kings, the 6th chapter, 2 Kings 6, verses um, 24 through 33. Now the entire account is uh, familiar to a, lot of, to a lot of you, but if it's not familiar to you, uh, then take the time later on and read this entire account. I'm going to pull out just a segment of it here. And uh, as we read, read in it, you'll understand as we go through, okay? 2 Kings, the 6th chapter, verse 24 through 33. I'll read this, or at least this portion, out of the New Living Translation. So let's talk about the breaking point. Verse 24 says, Sometime later, however, King Benadab of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Israel, or rather besieged Samaria. Now, what's happening here before we go any further is that uh, King Benadab really has it in for the people of God. He is like a tormentor. 
and he has not left them alone. He sent in, sent in enemy armies uh, to spy out the land, and he's been terrorizing their coast. He's been after Elisha. He's been, he has really been a thorn and really a terrorist to the land. Tormentor, tormentor. So right away, I want you to notice that um, the enemy has launched a tormentor against the people of God that were at Samaria, a tormentor. Their lives have been tormented for quite some time. All right, so let's go on further. Now, it says in verse 25, as a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver. And a cup of doves dung sold for five pieces of silver. So what's happening here? The king brought all of his army in and they surrounded the city and they would not let anything come in and they would not let anything go out. They were going to starve the people to death, starve them out. So what happened here? The siege was so the siege lasted so long. The surrounding army was there for so long that uh, people began to eat donkeys' heads to stay alive. And they began to eat doves' dung. Now, historians say and Bible scholars say doves' dung was either one of uh, three things. It was either actual doves' excrement that people were beginning to eat, or it was actually a type of plant uh, that was there that was sort of like wild onions that people would eat, boil a little bit and begin to eat, eat that or some other type of uh, uh, wild growing plant that they could use as uh, some type of preservative. But either way, this was something that was normally ignored that now is selling for a very high price, silver. They are so, they are starving, the people of God were starving, all right? And so it says, uh, again, verse 25, as a result, there was a great famine in the city. Uh, the siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for eight pieces of silver, and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Now, it goes on to tell you how bad this siege was. Turn, turn down just a little bit, please. Verse 26 says, one day as the king of Israel was walking along the, the, the wall of the city, a woman called to him, uh, please help me, my lord, the king. Verse 27, he answered, if the Lord doesn't help you, what can I do? Now, we're going to get back to that. He says, um, he goes on to say, I have neither floor uh, rather food from the threshing floor, nor wine from the press to give you. But then the king asked, what is the matter? She replied, this woman, this woman said to me, come on, let's eat your son today. Then we will eat my son tomorrow. So we cooked my son and ate him. Then the next day I said to her, kill your son so we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. When the king heard this, he tore his clothes in despair. And as the king walked along the wall, the people could see that he was wearing burlap 
under his robe next to his, sin, next, next to his skin. So this is one indication of how severe this famine was, how much this tormentor was a part of this, where they were resulting in eating their children, cannibalism, trying to stay alive. Verse verse 31 says, may God, this is the king's reaction here, he says, may God strike me and even kill me if I don't separate Elisha's head from his shoulders this very day, the king vowed. Elisha was sitting in his house with the elders of Israel when the king sent a messenger to summon him. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, a murderer has sent a man to cut off my head. When he arrives, shut the door and keep him out. We will soon hear his master's steps following him. While Elijah was, 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 still, was, still, was still saying this, the messenger arrived, and the king said, All this misery is from the Lord. This is what he's saying. All this misery, all this torment, all the stuff we're going through is from God. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? We're going to stop right there for a moment. So we see a lot of things are happening, and the people of God are desperate for a change. They are desperate, desperate. But the king said, all of this is happening. This is God's fault. He, he is the reason why I'm going through this. He is the reason why I can't get a job. He is the reason why I can't get a woman. I can't get a man. He's the reason why I don't have any money. He's the reason why I can't get a car. He's the reason why I can't get a house. He's the reason this is all God's fault. But is it really? Let's look at this and see. Does the king have any part of this? I'm glad you asked. Let's go to, again, uh, 2 Kings, the third chapter, verses 1 through 3. And it says, Ahab's son, Joram, uh, began to rule over Israel in the 18th year of King Jehoshaphat's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 12 years. He did what was evil, talking about this king we're just talking about, He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not to the same extent as his father and mother. He at least tore down the sacred pillars of Baal from his father, rather that his father had set up. Nevertheless, he continued in the sin that Jeroboam, son of Nebet, had committed and let the people of Israel, and rather, uh, and let the people of Israel to commit. All right, so he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did something very, very bad. And sometimes when torment comes and disaster comes, ruin comes, people like to blame God, they like to blame others, but they do not blame themselves. And very, I've heard people, I've heard born-again believers say, uh, it's because of them, it's because of her, it's because of my employers, because of them, it's because of God. But I hardly hear them say, it's the devil doing this. It's the strangest thing. But 
How did the enemy get in? These were the people of God, and the Father was there. The great Elohim, the great El Shaddai was always there protecting them. How did the enemy get in to torment them? The Bible says clearly, because this king did evil. He walked in the sin of Jeroboam. Well, what sin did Jeroboam commit? Who was he following after? We have to know what Jeroboam did. Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look and see. Let's go back to 1 Kings, the 14th chapter. 1 Kings 14. This is why this tormentor is there. This is why uh, the king of Syria would not leave Israel alone, would not leave the Samaritans alone. This is the, this is the tool that the devil used, that Satan used to bring calamity and torment into the lives of the people of God. And see, here's what the Lord is saying today, and I pray you, you understand this, that understand that this is not an isolated event because what he did is what many of us are doing today. And because many of us are still doing it today, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, has access to come into your life and bring torment. And unless we repent of this, these attacks will continue to come and continue to come and continue to come until we get things straight. Hallelujah. So let me help you today because God is bringing us to a breaking point. And you're going to see what we're talking about. But what was the sin of King Jeroboam? Well, let's go to uh, 1 Kings 14, verse 7 through 9. Now, this is a great thing. This is a great thing because when the Lord casts light on the enemy's tactics, that devil's going to scatter. He is going to scatter. He does not want you to hear. He does not want you to hear the word because once you hear the word, he is no longer covered. He, his activity is then at that point revealed and he has to flee and run. But we have to take hold of the word and understand it and then declare it and apply it to our lives. So again, what was the king doing so bad? He was, he was in the sin of Jeroboam. Well, what did Jeroboam do? This is why we hear 1 Kings uh, 14, verse 7 and 9, 7 through 9, it says this. It says, go, tell Jeroboam, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, for as much as I exalted thee from among the people, and made thee prince over my house, over my people Israel, and rent the kingdom away from the house of David, and gave it thee. And yet thou hast not been as my servant David, who, who kept my commandments, and who followed me with all his heart, uh, to do that only which was right in mine eyes. First of all, you see, God made him king. God made him king. You're going to see how he appreciates God for making him king as we go further on down. Verse 9 says, but has done evil, this king has done evil above all that were before him. For thou hast gone and made the other gods and molten images to provoke me to anger. And has cast me behind thy back. The sin of Jeroboam is this. He made golden calves. And he told the people of God, he told Israel, these are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. 
Worship them. Because Jeroboam thought if the people of God, if Israel were to go to Jerusalem and worship, then, hey, they were going to come back and kill him and take the kingdom from him. But understand something. The people didn't make him king. God made him king. But these golden calves, he set up before them, was his attempt to keep what God gave him. So God made him the king, but he went forth to use these other things to keep what God gave him. You know, it's like God, people, I've seen people, they beg God for a job, and, and, and God gives them a job, but then the next thing, they have no time for him. So they erect golden calves, or they erect the golden calves, or they spend a lot of time, they spend a lot of money, a lot of energy trying to keep what God gave them instead of seeking the Father. And so they spend all this time, money, and energy trying to keep what they have, only to find out that you have opened up a door for the enemy to come in. Jeroboam was so con he was so convinced that he needed to make these idols. He needed to do these things in order to keep what God gave him. So he erected these gods. He erected the gods of money, prosperity, pleasure and all these things. And I've, I've heard married couples say, you know what? Uh, I want to save my marriage. So we're going to spice up our marriage by by using pornography. You're opening up a door for the enemy to come in. You're opening up a door for him to come in and strike you and torment you. God gave it to you. So God is also strong enough to keep you in that. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. So we see here again, the very last part of that verse. And this will tell you what I mean, what this real danger is. It says, and has cast me behind thy back. You set up the golden calves and say, well, I got this house because I worked hard. Cast me behind your back. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. If I don't do this, if I don't say that, you know, then I'm going to lose everything. Casting God behind your back, exalting what you can do. That's what's happening. He's exalting what he can do because these golden calves is something that he can control. When you set up a golden calf, you set up the rules. You set up the worship. You set up the control. It's not God. And so they set up these golden calves and set God in the back. When then all of a sudden we have no time to worship. We have no time to pray. We have no time to study the word of God. We have no time to go to church. We have no time. Sit God to the back. Sit God to the back in an effort to keep or continue to control what God has given to you. That was the great sin, sitting God to the back. And so this whole thing was, was not about the famine. It was not about the enemy arming. It was not about sickness. It was not about poverty. It wasn't about the man of God, and it sure was not about God. It was about the king coming to his breaking point. Because the Lord could deliver his people, Israel, his people of Samaria, at any time. It wasn't about that. As a matter of fact, he did deliver his people as the account goes on. He did deliver the people through four leprous men. The lepers, they said, hey, and you can read this later in chapter 17. The lepers said, hey, uh, if we go back in the city, there's famine there. We're going to die. If we sit here, we're going to die. Why don't we just go to the host of the Syrians and see if, see if, see if they give us something to eat? Well, they, as they went up in the, in the twilight into the camp of the Syrians, uh, the, the Syrians heard a great noise. God amplified their footsteps. 
And the Syrians thought that uh, this king, the king of um, Samaria, that, that is the king of Israel, they thought that the king had hired other armies against them. And so they all fled. The enemy army fled. That army that was besieging or surrounding the people of God, those tormenting spirits that were surrounding them, got up and they ran off in a haste. God delivered the city through weakness. God delivered the city through weakness. He delivered the people of God through weakness and through rejection. Because who was weaker? The, I mean, it, it was the these four leprous men were weak, sickly. They were also rejected. So God delivered his people through weakness and through that thing that was rejected and through that thing that was despised. Through that thing that was ostracized and criticized and cast down, demonstrating again that God does not need your strength. He does not need your perfection. He does not need your willpower. He does not need your ability. All he needs is your obedience and he will deliver your soul. So we would ask as well, where is Christ in all of this? Because the Old Testament, again, is Christ concealed. The New Testament is God revealed. Well, it's very obvious to see how Christ is in this because God delivered us through the weakness of Christ. Jesus, as he hung upon the cross, was extremely weak. And through the torment that was upon him, we receive our peace. God brought him low, and then surely Jesus was ostracized and, and ostracized, and he was condemned for us. He left the riches and glory to come down into poverty for us. It was through weakness that God established us and set us free. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. So we need you to see that even in John, the 12th chapter, even in John, the 12th chapter, verse 32 through 33, it says, as the Lord is talking about his death, he said, if he said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. So he sang through his death. Now, what's weaker than death? Sickness is, is weak, yes, but death is final. What's weak in that? So God used what was weak. And he says further on in the scripture that God didn't call many strong things, many mighty, many wise. He called the foolish things to confound the wise. He called the weak things to confound the things of the world that were strong. God can save you. He doesn't need you to be perfect or live a quote unquote perfect life. He can redeem you right where you are, right where you are. It's through your weakness that his strength is made perfect. So meanwhile, you're trying to do all you can to keep all you can. You're messing things up. You're actually inviting the tormentor in instead of acknowledging the father and all that he is doing in your life and focusing on him we're focusing on the job focusing on making the money focusing on this and that and that we're looking all these other places serving these all these other gods serving all these things and we're putting God behind us got no time for you God putting him behind you putting him behind you and whenever you put God behind you you're putting Satan in front of you whenever you put God behind you you're putting Satan in front of you. Please hear that. And so, again, this was not this whole issue was not about the enemy army. It was about the king. It was about the king. Now, we see a turning point here. There was a turning point. 
The king hit his turning point, as we see here in verse number 30, uh, 2 Kings 6, verse 30. We see the king's turning point here. It says, when the king heard this, when he heard the two ladies, he tore his clothes in despair. And as the king walked along the wall, the people could see that he was wearing burlap under, under his robe next to his skin. So the king was secretly assuming he, he secretly was fasting. Now his sin was public, but his repentance was private. His sin was public, but his repentance was private. What was the turning point of Israel? What, what happened? What, what really turned the whole thing around? What was the point of turning? What was, what was the breaking point? We saw the king's breaking point when he saw what his sin had done to them. But he was fasting inwardly. He was hiding the fact that he was fasting. Why was he doing that? Because he told the people, these are your gods. They will deliver you. These golden calves, go and worship them. Go and worship them. So he didn't want to admit that he was wrong. So privately, he repented before God. Didn't want anybody to see it. But when the people saw, oh, the king is fasting, then the people knew that it wasn't about these golden calves. They knew that. And this is one reason why the king went to Elijah and said, why should we wait on God any longer? This is God's fault. Well, why was the king waiting? Because God had told Elijah, tell the king, wait. Wait on what? Wait on his God to do something about this besieging. Waiting on, wait on his money to do something about this. Wait on his, quote, unquote, her friends to do something about the situation we're in. Wait on all them that you've been serving, that you've been giving all your time to, that you, that you said, you have no time for me. You pushed me to the back of your life. Let's wait on them to solve this problem. So God told him to wait. Let them deliver you. Now the things are where they are. Now you say, oh, I love my friends. Now I love my life. I love this. Now, now you're in a pickle. Where are they now? Now you had to go to the this and that and all that. Where is all this help now? God said, wait. You've been serving them, right? Wait. Nothing's happening because they're not coming. There's only one true God. And only he has the power to save. And that's the one that we say, I just don't have time. Get to the back. Are you hearing? Amen. So in closing, let's look at 2 Corinthians. Might as well go here. 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verses 9 through 10. And we just simply need to repent. We've made golden calves. We've told God, get to, the, get to the back. Don't have time. My career is first. My pleasure is first. My this, my that. I got to make the money. I got to do this. I got to do that. And we've gotten so busy. Even doing some things that weren't necessarily wrong. But so many things we can be so busy doing the work of God that we no longer know God. And this, with all of our good intentions, can leave a door open for the devil to come in and torment. 
We got to put the first thing, the first thing. That's why Jesus told us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that you need will be added unto you. Seek him first. This was the sin of, of Jeroboam. This was the sin of the king here. This was the sin. Jesus gives us a key here. Or the Lord tells the apostle here, look at this in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verse 9 and 10. And he says, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That is, you don't have to struggle to get it right all the time. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. You're not going to make it perfect every time. But listen, please hear me, child of God. God is not going to establish your family or your finances or your life on your ability to get it right all the time because Jesus already got it right. Amen. But he is establishing your way, your life on the establishing on the on what Jesus did for us upon the cross. All we have to do is be obedient. Don't put God at the back of the bus. Keep him forward and beside you. Are you hearing? He said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. When you think that you just can't get it together, that you just can't do it right. Don't you understand? The strength of God is with you. If you only acknowledge him. Let's look at one more. First Corinthians, the first chapter. Let me show you this. We quoted it, but I wanted you to see it anyway. First Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 26 says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, the thing, yea and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why is God doing this? In verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So if you say that you are weak and you are despising your weakness, you only sing half the picture because God wants to establish his kingdom in you and through you, through your weakness. You're never going to get it absolutely right or say absolutely right things all the time. You're going to always need the grace of God. You're going to always need the power of God. You're going to always need to stay in his presence. You're going to always need to lean on him and rely on him and trust in him. Always. So I tell you. I hope that you have reached your breaking point. The time that you realize you can't do it. You just can't do it. Let's repent 
of setting up golden calves. Let's repent of setting it up. And let's believe the Lord for restoration. And let's put the Father in his proper place in front of us. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we repent of our sins. Lord, we have made golden calves of, uh, of money, of pleasure, of sex, of work, of friends. We have turned to so many other things to, to help secure our hearts, our lives, our finances. We have turned and turned and turned. So, Father, this, at this time, we repent. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to reveal to us where we place these golden calves that we may tear them down, that we may declare openly death to those golden calves, and that we will only serve you. Show us the road to repentance, that these doors to the enemy would be closed forever. Help us to focus on Christ in all things. Thank you for showing us the plan and the attack of the enemy so that those doors will be closed forever so that we can be freed and completely delivered through Christ Jesus. We love you. We thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next time. Let's give the Lord a mic. Well, we pray that you were blessed and encouraged by today's message. Don't forget, you can connect with us at our website at kingdomrock.org. It's there that you can hear today's message as well as the entire series. So check it out today. Until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and so do we. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way. We'll see you on the next time.